0: Yes, hello, and welcome to How Did This Get Praised? Today we are going to be talking about a very serious movie, an Oscar contender, and what is perhaps one of the most moving films in recent memory. Mm. And to do that, we have a special guest star with us. Um, She'll be here in a few minutes, I'm told. Um, Oscar Academy Award winning actress, Frances McDormand.
1: Yes, we are. We are very excited to have Frances McDormand here, uh, to talk about her her wonderful, groundbreaking film uh, *Nomadland* and its potential in this upcoming Oscar race.
0: I would I would describe it as brave. I would describe it as vulnerable, and I would describe it as heart wrenching. What do you think, Daniela? Yes.
1: Um. When I watched nomad land Mm -hmm. um i i felt like something was aroused within me to 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 make change and to to see this community of people that i wasn't quite familiar with um tell their story i was so deeply moved by that but Mm -hmm. but speaking of the story um Stefan, I don't think we should beat around the bush today. Let's just jump right in so we can uh, speak to Miss McDormand. And we want to get the uh, plot
0: summary out of the way, I think, so we can get straight into the meat of this movie with Miss McDormand.
1: So, uh, Stefan, what is Nomadland about?
0: Well, Nomadland is about a young woman who travels into the heart of Las Vegas follow her dreams of becoming a dancer Um, and she gets taken advantage of and she meets Molly who will become her best friend and she starts working at a strip club and she dances her heart out and through Molly she gets into the stardust and sees the glamorous world behind the scenes of goddess which is at a big casino stage show Stefan yeah
1: what?
0: APRIL FOOL! you know how I know that you're gay? I'm alright Man. Shout out to my new friend! Patriot! Austin! Patriot! Austin! you know how I know that you're gay? Here's Johnny! Where's the dog food? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've had dog food. You have? Mm Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Doggy chow. I used to love doggy chow.
1: I used to love doggy
0: chow, too. Hey, everybody. I'm Stefan Carlson, and I'm here with my co-host. She used to love doggy chow. It's Eddie Bazio.
1: Oh, my God. I used to love doggy chow so much. Oh, my God.
0: Me, too. Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> we God. should kiss about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, um, everyone. Hi. We're not talking about Nomadlands, no badlands. No, Francis
0: McDormand isn't actually here.
1: Silly. She's not oh gonna be here God. till next week. Yeah. Um, no, we're talking about oh, such a great movie. Um yeah. Stefan, this is a very mm-hmm. special episode. What episode is
0: this? It is this is the episode, the special April Fool's edition that we like to call How Did This Get Hate?
1: Oh hey. yeah.
0: Um, and we're talking about Showgirls, um, 1990, uh, <laughs> Five. 1995 Showgirls, uh, shortly after I was born, was when that was coming out. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven, and we can't wait to talk about our very complex relationship with this film, at least I'm and assuming say, so.
1: And we're going to say Versace a lot?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love um, it.
1: It's the official Italian pronunciation.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, it's Versace. It's Versace. Um, It's Versace. Yeah. But before we get started, a little about the show. If you're a film lover of any creed, you're probably familiar with The Canon, aka those movies, all the most annoying people you know tell you that you have to see. Like, oh my God, you just have to see it. These movies are considered to be the greats for one reason or another. But we started asking, why did these movies get praised? And I'm just realizing that we should be asking, why did these movies get hate? Uh, yeah, this is like the uh, anti-the canon.
1: Yeah, which is why we're switched. This is why Stefan's the one yeah. saying the introduction.
0: I'm uh, Zaro Daniela or Bizarro <laughs> Daniela. Yeah,
1: this is a the nigger podcast. Yeah.
0: If you don't know about the podcast, throughout each episode, we usually take one beloved movie, whether a financial success, critical success, cult favorite, or film with some sort of legacy, talk about two things, why we think it got praised, and if it's actually any good. Today, we're talking about a movie that might be one of the most universally hated movies of all time um, in its time and now. And if we think that hate was deserved, or if we think this is actually a good movie... Maybe. maybe, <laughs> Because after all, who are we going to yeah. let decide what's actually bad? Too cool as hell, best friends who met each other in a high school film class, or Kyle McLaughlin's 90s haircut?
1: Actually, we Kyle McLaughlin's 90s haircut probably is the authority of what's bad. It is. It really
0: <laughs> is. <laughs> well, if you've ever loved a movie despite feeling like it wasn't made for you or hated a movie that you were told everyone hates, then this is the podcast for you yes yes and a last bit of housekeeping in place of the ads you might be accustomed to with podcast danielle and i are selecting an organization each episode that we'd like to encourage you to donate to in this episode this fun little spinoff episode is no different this week given the subject matter of the movie the horrific tragedy that recently took place in atlanta and that april is sexual assault awareness month we encourage you to support and donate to Red Canary Song, the only grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition in the U.S. There are over 9,000 workplaces like these across the country with no political representation or access to labor rights or collective organizing. You can find more and donate by visiting redcanariesong.net. That is redcanariesong.net. Additionally, we'll donate $2 per listen up to a maximum of $50 to Red Canary Song and their work.
1: Because also this episode's going to talk about uh, yes. sexual assault and violence, um, in a in a actually in a couple of movies because we'll be referring to um, kind of the precursor to showgirls in this episode as well, um, and obviously uh, or maybe not so obviously uh, what has happened in Atlanta uh, is not shocking or uh, new. But has uh, shed a light on um, our relationship to sex workers, to uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander populations, um, the way that Asian women are sexualized and uh, to the point of objectification and violence. Um, and so, yeah, I we have actually had this episode planned for a while and did not know that, uh, you know, we were going to be talking about uh, sex workers and sexual violence around the time of, of this pretty horrific incident. So, um, please, we're going to be talking about a pretty dumb movie <laughs> and uh, our our various feelings about it. But um, whether uh, it succeeds or not, this movie is part of a conversation of about. The violence that many sex workers face um and we are in solidarity with sex workers everywhere we want them to have access to uh not worry about uh police raids and uh you know losing access to political representation and rights and healthcare and all of the things that any employed person should have sex work is work um no matter how silly Paul Verhoeven makes it seem, sex work is work. So that's my little serious bit. Sorry, um, but now let's let's get into the meat of Showgirls. Uh, with all of that and the, that content warning, that will be addressing some sexual assault in here. Uh, all right, let's do it. Do it. Uh, we're talking about the 1995 erotic drama. Showgirls by Paul Verhoeven. Yes,
0: and contrary to popular belief, it is a job. It is a drama film,
1: and it is erotic. <laughs> <laughs> contrary to
0: popular <laughs> belief. Mm. Um.
1: Now, Stefan, I know you, I interrupted you when yeah. you were giving us a taste of uh the the plot summary, but what's no, what's that, Showgirls?
0: That was Nomadland.
1: Oh, my yeah, God! You're this is dip- they have so completely much in different. Yeah, I
0: know it's weird.
1: <laughs> um, what is Showgirls about Stefan?
0: Showgirls is about a young dancer named Nomi Malone who comes to Vegas to follow her dream of dancing in a big show. Um, first, she works at a strip club, but through her friend Molly, She's able to get backstage at a big Vegas showgirl show, um, which stars Crystal Connors and is produced by her um, hotshot producer boyfriend, uh, Zach, who's Kyle McLaughlin, who I'm just going to say is Kyle McLaughlin because it's easier. <laughs> um, so, uh, Crystal and Kyle McLaughlin fall in love with Nomi and they kind of all start to be infatuated and obsessed with each other and they hate each other. And it's a whole big psychosexual hullabaloo and um, hijinks and hilarity ensue as Nomi tries to claw her way to the top.
1: You got to bop to the
0: top. Yeah, that's what that song was influenced (laughs) by, actually.
1: Actually, Bop to the Top is a weirdly sexual song in High School Musical if you listen to it. So, uh yeah it's not surprising i
0: try to not Uh, think about high school musical as much as possible
1: that's offensive as maybe one of the worst things you've ever said on the show and that's true because this is how did this get hate the first episode (laughs) so you know
0: you would play high school musical songs just to torment me (laughs) like sometimes when i was watching tv downstairs she would take over the cast and start playing you are the music in me
1: I totally forgot when we first lived together, when it was just you and me, um, uh, in Lincoln Square in Chicago, and we had an Amazon Alexa, and I just, from the other room, just start <laughs> playing High School Musical. Just be like, while you we were just like hanging
0: out. Just be like, na 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 na, <laughs> na 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 na, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Like, oh, uh, God. that one
1: time I—that one time I danced for you and you hated it.
0: The volume would be up to max at that point. Her neighbors would be calling the police.
1: <laughs> Stanley's like, what's going
0: Hiding on? Hiding in a corner. <laughs> Hiding in a box.
1: Um, <laughs> so. Before we get into our conversation on showgirls, yeah. Kevin, what's up? How are you?
0: Oh, I'm uh I'm I'm pretty pretty good. I'm okay. Um just um living that pandemic life. Are
1: you are you anky? That's what? my short term for anxious. Are you anky? No.
0: <laughs> How this are you? It's
1: been a been a pandemic. Um I've actually i don't know how how real do i get on the the pod i've been awful (laughs) i've been like really awful yeah um there are a couple of like fine days but oh my god what a
0: well you got your first shot right
1: my first vaccine ever i was anti-vax until two days ago no um i know jenny
0: mccarthy had her claws pretty (laughs) deep into you (laughs) um <laughs> It was a persistent no. problem that I didn't want to get measles.
1: Oh, uh, But you I was know. living with Daniela. <laughs> I had polio for a spell. Um no. Uh yeah, I got my first vaccine shot. It's fine. I mean, it's good, right? But it's all it's also like it's not. I don't want to be a downer, but like people are talking about it like that's the you know, that'll solve everything once we all get vaccinated and that might have been true if we shut down completely when we were supposed to and had minimized the spread to begin with but uh it's been over a year so um
0: love it no
1: no that's not how it works living in
0: america
1: and um our city is handling things quite poorly
0: living in chicago
1: um And, uh, terrible, George is not doing great in many respects. Um, so yeah, no, uh, I, you know, I feel a little hopeless and, uh, I don't know how to get it because it's mainly because of things much more bigger than me. So we're going to talk about this dumb movie I have control over my opinions on showgirls and you i i thought you had made our prep for this movie a little extra fun because you were like i think i'm gonna watch basic instinct mm-hmm. before because we had watched showgirls already yeah. uh showgirls for us is a pandemic movie because we had first watched it together like two weeks it's pandemic
0: <laughs> i think we were and just we're... baffled at that point by the movie <laughs> we... but also by everything else
1: well i think like it literally went like do you just want to watch showgirl (laughs) like do you just want to watch this movie that we've heard nothing but bad things about it could be the new cats because i think we had already watched cats at home at that point which says a lot about says a lot about how depraved the (laughs) pandemic quickly got for us but um yeah, you were like, "Let's watch Basic Instinct," which n- neither of us had watched, and so we both watched it, um, and then watched Showgirls right after.
0: Yeah, we had heard about um, Basic Instinct a lot while looking into Showgirls, and yeah. the discourse we about knew, the Showgirls.
1: We knew there's some pussy action in Basic oh Instinct, God. basically.
0: <laughs> so gross.
1: Um, yeah, I, I'm like laughing, but also. Horrible. Um. Yeah. Well, should we talk about our first impressions of Showgirls? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Before you and I had watched Showgirls for the first time, before we had said "fuck it," we're, we're watching this movie. What was your impression going in?
0: Um, I liked the poster. Oh, that's and so And I good. still like the poster. <laughs> um, but I I'd seen the CinemaSins ding video on it. Which is is that
1: okay. like a edit to insert the cinemasins? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love I, I, p- frequent listeners of podcasts know How I love and appreciate cinemasins as uh, high quality entertainment. I don't. I don't want to start beef with the cinemasins guy. Like it's fine. It's okay. It's. it's
1: Jeremy. <laughs>
0: is that his name?
1: Yeah, I don't like that. I know that, but yeah. <laughs>
0: But yeah, CinemaSins did, like, a really long video sending showgirls, and that's what I knew about it. And it looked wild. And there were titties everywhere. That's all I knew about it going in.
1: Yeah, kind of same. I I mean, I, didn't, I think I was getting into CinemaSins around <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic, which also says a lot about the depravity of the <laughs> pandemic. Not to ding CinemaSins, but... Uh i feel like we should censor every time we say cinema scenes before we get a c and d um no i just knew it was like a bad movie and i think in during some phase in like high school where i would like wikipedia the plots to movies that i was too young like i knew i couldn't get my hands on but i was Mm. like what happens in that i had read like the wikipedia entry on showgirls and I, all I remember is reading about like pool sex. That's like really uh graphic. And I was like, what? And then I, but I was like reading about it and how everyone was like, this is the worst movie ever made. So like from a teenager, yeah. I was, I just like knew like, oh, showgirls is this like infamously bad movie. And I probably wouldn't enjoy it, but I had this curiosity about it for a very long time where I was like, Especially the more I realized I really enjoyed bad movies and things that come off as camp. I was like, I don't I kind of wanna see what the NC seventeen sexy awful movie is.
0: Yeah. Um did And then
1: we were also we were like about to rewatch or you were about to rewatch and I was gonna watch Twin Peaks for yeah. the first time and I was like, I'm down for something with Kyle McLaughlin. I was sure. just gonna ask
0: you too, was like, were you more excited to see it because of your Kyle McLaughlin infatuation was just now budding.
1: It was just now budding. Ugh. Um. <laughs> yeah, because I had only known, I had only seen Kyle McLaughlin in uh, Blue Velvet. I mm-hmm. wasn't really familiar with him at the time. I knew like of him, and had seen like pictures of him in Twin Peaks and was like, handsome man. Uh, <laughs> but like, as we talked about in our Blue Velvet episode, this is our first time doing uh multiple movies with the same actor um i hadn't watched blue velvet in a long time so yeah we were just starting to watch twin peaks and i was immediately in love with a 90s kyle mclaughlin and was like all right i want to know what's up
0: and that's what we get in this movie more 90s kyle mclaughlin
1: oh do we ever and him like saying just awful things (laughs) was like you dumb fuck <laughs> um. So, what was your first impression of Showgirls when we watched it?
0: I was like, "What just <laughs> There's some movies like that, like Spring Breakers. The first one that happened for me was Black Swan when I saw that in theaters, and I was like, "What just What just happened? Like, what was that?" And where I have to a think very about it movie. for a long time and be like, "I don't, I don't know how I feel about that," but is. It, it was with cats, too. That's a very, it's a very intimate genre for me. For, it's something I'm very close to.
1: I think, like, when I went into it, I was, like, prepared to have a very cats experience where I was like, I already know this is going to be over the top and awful, so I'm just going to have fun. And then I did. Um, I uh, was very into Kyle McLaughlin's butt. but He gets a couple of butt shots. Very cute. Um and uh it was very silly. And I I think we have to set the scene. We also like Chromecasted it, but it was like on showtime at the time and there was no showtime app. So you were chromecasting it from like a desktop screen. Yeah, I
0: was chromecasting <laughs> it from my desktop in the other room. Yeah. So the quality wasn't a hundred. <laughs>
1: And it had like the little like um pa- like the playback bar at the bottom like the whole time, and we had to run to a different room to like play and pause. It was very funny. It was great. Um, and I was definitely like, "What the fuck!" And you and I uh, lost our minds during a couple scenes. Yeah, I did not. I was pretty upset with the rape plot yeah. point at the end um it's pretty
0: egregious and awful and tasteless and even like deplorable (laughs) it's like deplorable no
1: it's like unnecessarily (laughs) violent
0: it feels evil and doesn't need to be in the movie at all and like slows the pace down whatever pace this movie has and just like why i can't (sighs) think of anything but malice as to the reason why this scene is in this movie, I do or hackery or something <laughs> like that. I do.
1: Have, I do have a suspicion of why it's in. I still think it's a great reason, but we can talk about it more later. I will say, and I had mentioned this when we rewatched it the other day. Um, I don't want to like excuse that scene because it's still awful. But I think watching the movie the second time knowing exactly what the tone of the movie mm-hmm. was instead of being like what is this um the scene f- felt less violent because i already was going in being like every moment of this is going to feel like camp mm-hmm. and so i was able to at least watch that scene through a camp lens it i don't was, think it
0: it was faster too, the
1: second yeah time. but it, it made it it made it a, a little bit more um endurable
0: yeah that first time through was just like oh my god
1: it felt like it went on forever and i think i think it almost ruined the movie for me but then like she gets back (laughs) she hitchhikes hikes back with the same guy from the beginning and i was like never mind this movie is (laughs) amazing
0: and she beats the shit out of andrew carver
1: yeah (laughs) like Ah, okay, okay, let's talk about the movie, yeah, yeah. because I can't, um, Before we're already we,
0: starting. yeah, get into it, let's talk about the, you wanted to talk a little bit about the trivia?
1: Yeah, let's get into the cold hard facts. Showgirls was released on September 22nd, 1995. I was a mere babe, almost exactly one month old, wild, um, little did I know, <laughs> 20 years later, uh... 25 years later, I can't, I can do math. Um, this is Fight Club all over again. Um, 25 years later, I would be consuming this great work of art. Um, so, uh, this movie is distributed and was produced by one of the oldest film studios ever, a relic of old Hollywood, MGM Studios. Wow. The prestigious, this prestigious company known for classic movie musicals mm-hmm. made showgirls on a budget of around 40 million it made 37.8 million it lost money I think
0: ter- that's not like hideous flop though
1: no but i think is this the first i mean this is why did this get hate but is this the mm. first movie we've talked about that lost money
0: potentially yeah
1: which would make sense because, because it it's, didn't. Yeah. It's not based. Pan, um, pan,
0: pan, 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 super pan.
1: <laughs> Um, So this movie was directed by Paul Verhoeven, but not written by him. It was written by a man named, uh, I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong. It's Hungarian. Uh, his name is Joe Esteres, Um, who uh, they had worked together previously um, in 1992 on uh, the erotic thriller basic instinct joe hysteras also wrote the erotic thriller sliver or something like that slither slither, slither Did- uh in ni- in 1993 so he had the idea for showgirls <laughs> when he was on vacation at his home in maui hawaii and then he had lunch in beverly hills and with paul verhoven and paul verhoven said that he had always loved big MGM musicals and wanted to make one. God. So, Estheras was like, I have this idea f- um I'm I he wrote it down on a napkin and he's like, what if the setting was Las Vegas? Um Good. so MGM picked up the idea and Joe Estheras received a 2 million dollar advance to write the script. Wow making him, at the time, the highest-paid screenwriter in all of Hollywood history. For
0: showgirls? For
1: showgirls. Oh, my
0: God.
1: Verhoeven agreed to defer uh, 70% of his uh, $6 million director's fee, depending on if the film turned a <laughs> profit. So he was willing to throw down for showgirls. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Verhoeven, pretty notable director of the 80s. At this point, uh, he was really known for like the sci-fi kind of corny action movies, RoboCop and Total Recall, and then Basic Instinct, which was the last movie he had worked on before Showgirls.
0: And wasn't really... Basic Instinct wasn't received well either, at least no, by but critics. It
1: did, it did better. Um, and it did really well at the box office, mm-hmm. uh, because people were like ready to be horny. Uh um,
0: the, the 90s and 80s, 90s.
1: And adult adult dramas were really popular. So, you know, studios are like, oh, we're getting another erotic thriller from these two. Um, they were like, We're gonna make this um very like bold and sexy. Uh so There was a controversy before the movie was even released uh, because of the amount of sex and nudity that were going to be in it. So it was rated NC-17, which is kind of rare for a theatrical release uh, for quote unquote nudity and erotic sexuality throughout some graphic language and sexual violence.
0: Like even Um, even in at least in that time, um, if a movie got an NC-17, wouldn't it just be considered like dead on arrival?
1: well so showgirls was the first and so far only nc-17 rated movie to be given a wide release Mm. um all others are kind of been in the art house movie theaters but not wide release um in fact uh there was so much controversy that children would sneak into nc-17 one of the distributors united artists sent out hundreds of staffers to movie theaters just to ensure patrons wouldn't sneak into the theater from other films and that they were 17 or older besides the fact that it was poorly reviewed also the fact that it's nc-17 obviously impacted uh how it did at the box office there is an r-rated cut Uh, for rental outlets that didn't carry NC-17 films it is three minutes shorter and removes some of the more graphic footage but Paul Verhoeven gets away with a lot in this movie and uh, Basic Instinct uh, which is rated R uh, infamously too he shot all of the sex scenes in Basic Instinct from like 20 different angles and cut like multiple versions of the sex scenes, mm-hmm. so that he was prepared for the censors to pretty much get to show ev- as much up to like nipple basically as they would allow him, um, or whatever their yeah. line was. So Verhoeven's really like, We got, we got to get them titties in there. I don't know why that was my impression of him. He <laughs>
0: is not American, <laughs> gotta get those titties. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, Because this was a hot ticket movie while it was in production Mm. before uh, it was made.
0: A lot of buzz.
1: A lot of buzz. Anyone who, you know, Verhoeven was a notable director. And so people were, you know, into working with him, uh, especially doing an erotic thriller. In the 90s was something very sexy, something very like appealing to an actor who wanted to show that they were daring.
0: Mm.
1: So there are a lot of actors who were considered for the various roles in the movie. So for Nomi Malone, who uh, eventually is the roles given to Elizabeth Berkeley. Uh, some of the people considered included Pamela Anderson, Drew Barrymore, Angelina Jolie, Jenny McCarthy, Yvette, uh, <laughs> Denise Richards, and Charlize Theron. Uh, but they all turned it down. And Elizabeth Berkeley, saved by the bell, just got canceled. Elizabeth Berkeley, very famous for Jesse and...
0: I'm so excited. I'm so scared.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so she signed on to play the role. This was her first like real film role. She was going to be a big star. Very much a turn from her role as Jesse in Saved by the Bell. Yeah. A very muted.
0: Which, which uh, makes sense. Um, yeah. If you're kind of a teen star and you're trying to pull out as... You're trying to become a quote-unquote a-list actor and get like yeah. more meaty roles you want to break that mold and showgirls has probably seemed like a really good opportunity to do that
1: yeah well and a lot of uh, actresses were also considered for the role that eventually went to gina gershaw and crystal connors um uh, madonna sharon stone sean young who's uh really notable for playing rachel and blade runner mm-hmm. um daryl mm-hmm. hannah uh, I'm not super familiar with Finola Hughes but apparently she turned down the script because she thought it was sexist.
0: Okay.
1: Uh <laughs> these these folks were all considered uh but uh Gina Gershon became available and she got the role. And then Kyle McLachlan was like really like dying to be in this movie because he was like I really want to work with this director. You know, Kale's worked with david lynch a lot he's not afraid of like daring sexy roles um yeah, and see this Blue is Velvet. his quote uh this is his quote he said that was a decision that was sort of a tough one to make but i was enchanted with paul verhoven particularly robocop which i loved it was verhoven and Estera's, and it seemed like it was going to be kind of dark and edgy and disturbing and real He said Dylan McDermott was first chosen for the role, but uh, he ended up being the one to get it. And the rest is history. In writing the movie, Paul Verhoeven and Joe Steros interviewed over 200 real-life Las Vegas strippers. And they were like, we're gonna write this morality tale about how abused and taken advantage these sex workers in vegas are it's a horrible industry and it's sexist and and they're they get abused and hurt Mm. so we're gonna we're gonna put a put a mirror to it
0: okay (laughs) a funhouse mirror to it
1: spoiler alert the movie came out and everyone hated it
0: um Like, like probably like absolutely everyone hated it right
1: yeah um so joe Asteris has admitted uh as soon as 1997 so only a couple years after it came out he admitted uh that him and verhoeven were coming off of a high from basic instinct in feeling like they had told this really sexy dark neo-noir thriller and so they were like we can do whatever we want Mm. now and uh he admitted he regretted the rape scene he this is 1997 so he really turned around on it fast he regretted the rape scene he thought the casting was bad and he wished the music wasn't so unforgettable <laughs> um kyle McLachlan is probably one of the biggest uh like members who involved of the movie who was completely like denounced it yeah um, I love his quote about when he first saw it, he said, I was absolutely gobsmacked. I said, this is horrible horrible and it's a very slow sinking feeling when you're watching the movie and the first scene comes out and you're like oh that's a really bad scene but you say well that's okay the next one will be better (laughs) and you somehow to try to convince yourself that it's going to get better and it just gets worse and i was like wow that was crazy
0: (laughs) that's how i felt the first time i saw it (laughs)
1: The film won what was at the time a record seven golden Razzie awards in 1995 from a record 13 nominations and still no movie has topped that. It won worst picture, worst actress for Elizabeth Berkley, worst director for paul verhoeven worst screenplay for joe stirras worst new star for elizabeth berkeley worst original song and my favorite worst screen couple for any combination of two people or two body parts uh paul verhoeven willing to be a little bit game or perhaps because uh he doesn't want to admit that his intention was for the movie to not be a joke, Mm. uh appeared in person to accept his Resi Award, which not too many people do. This movie uh pretty much destroyed Elizabeth Berkeley's career. Uh some of the saving grace is she has made some light appearances at, you know, some celebratory, very queer screenings of the movie. Uh and has, you know, played game and, you know, I think we'll do some, you know, line readings or whatever Mm. of the movie. Uh, but pretty much ruined her any career she might have yeah. had um even Kyle McLaughlin, who you know he was this is pretty shortly after Twin Peaks he hadn't done like uh many like great movies in the time between Twin Peaks and here, like he was in the Flintstones live action movie <laughs> and, you know that, was, that movie did commercially well uh he didn't have like a significant movie role for years after this. And he only really came back into like having like prominent, like acting work in sex in the city for uh, like 20 episodes from in 2000 onwards. Uh, His biggest movie role that was even close to the period of time of Showgirls was (laughs) as uncle Claudius, the CEO of the Denmark corporation in Hamlet 2000. <laughs> so, we, we love you, Kyle.
0: Oh, Kyle. Um, we gotta watch that, though.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, so, uh, even Kyle McLaughlin, you know, obviously he's been able to bounce back mm-hmm. later in life because he's a man. Um, and apparently, like, David Lynch didn't even try to... <laughs> David Lynch made movies in that time. Yeah. He wasn't like, come back, Kyle. He was like, didn't work together um but it's fine i'm not going to speak on behalf of the relationship they love each other
0: um it's true paul
1: Verhoeven, on the other hand
0: sorry you just somehow, sent me a photo of kyle mclaughlin uh lint rolling david lynch's suit <laughs> on the set of twin Peaks. and it's, it's, it's so cute on <laughs> the set of the return it's just it's adorable i'm sorry
1: it's very really cute i love them so paul verhoven somehow was able to make Starship Troopers only two years later in 1997 with a $105 million budget. That's insane. In 1997,
0: too, that's a shitload of money.
1: Yeah. And if you think about, like, production periods, like, that's, like, no time at all. He, like, jumped right into another movie with a huge budget. So, nice for him, I guess. Everyone else, because his career is destroyed. So, uh, the writer... Joe Astera's didn't really write any notable movie after this either. Um, mm-hmm. which after like this run of like Basic Instinct, Sliver, Showgirls, uh, yeah, he's he wrote a few movies, but not anything really incredibly notable. And the last movie he wrote was in 2006. Um, he had a few unproduced screenplays including what was going to be a collaboration with Mel Gibson who had commissioned a screenplay from Joe Asteris a historical biopic on Judah and the Maccabees but the announcement generated controversy and uh, Joe Asteris didn't think very highly of Mel Gibson he described Mel as uh, quote unquote he shared the mindset of Adolf Hitler (laughs)
0: my god um is that the movie that would basically go on to become passion of the christ
1: no because it was in 2011 that it was announced Oh, okay so but in a 2012 interview kind of following this controversy of this announced film andrew goldman of the new york times had said to joe staras he was like the Passion of the Christ was widely considered anti-Semitic. Then, during a 2006 arrest for drunken driving, he you know, said those very anti-Semitic things. Is he the right director? And Asteris's reply was, uh, Adam Fogelson, Universal Pictures chairman, said to Gibson, why do you want to do this story? Mel said, because I think I should. Joe Asteris says, I liked that answer very much. So he he didn't think very highly of Mel Gibson, but he was still going to work on this movie with him until it was canceled.
0: Not good.
1: As Chideris thinks it's because of Gibson's violent outburst, oh, yeah. Gibson Gibson blamed a bad script. Joe Chideris later wrote a book about his experiences with Mel Gibson and anti-Semitism titled Heaven and Mel, wherein he portrays Gibson as a man fueled only by hatred, prone to violent outbursts. Among many damning statements, this is from Wikipedia: is Estes's claim that while staying at Gibson's Costa Rican estate to work on the script, he became so afraid that he slept with a golf club in his hand.
0: Fuck both of them. <laughs> uh,
1: well, and then it's it, then it's also interesting because Estes uh, himself found out in 1990 that his own father was being investigated by the U.S. Department of Justice for writing anti-Semitic propaganda in Hungary around World War II. And uh, he refused further contact with his father, kind of rightfully, I think. But then he said he regretted it, saying, when my father was in a Hungarian old age home, the nurses kept calling and saying, he's dying and he needs to see you. Not going was a huge mistake. I've asked God to forgive me, but I don't think I'll be forgiven. Mm. My favorite is that in the Wikipedia page for him, it literally has that quote followed by Asteris is a Republican.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not seeing my Nazi father. (laughs) Biggest regret.
1: (laughs) The last bit of cold hard facts on this, uh, momentous movie is, you know, that, uh, it's afterlife which uh mm-hmm. some people have reclaimed this movie for multiple reasons some say it is a serious satire like and, i believe
0: paul verhoeven himself
1: yeah because paul verhoeven that. well first first paul verhoeven said it was a critique mm-hmm. and then he started to lean more into it was meant to be a satire after kind it of got all of the, the yeah everyone was like this is actually funny and yeah. he was like yeah yeah it's a, <laughs> it a satire.
0: right <laughs> wink wink um and I hate that.
1: <laughs> and it's I think it's also been made clear that like Elizabeth Berkeley's performance is how it is because Verhoven told her to do it that yeah. way. But even the likes of Quentin Tarantino have like defended showgirls. Uh, he referred to it in 1996 as the only other time in the last 20 years that a major studio made a full-on, gigantic, big-budget exploitation movie um, right up Quentin Tarantino's alley. Um, But also notably, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, the queer community has reclaimed this movie. And I'm gonna save a lot more talk of that for Mm -hmm. the second half. But uh, the last bit, which is my favorite bit about Showgirls trivia, there is... (laughs) there's an unofficial sequel mm-hmm. that was produced by the actress rena riffle who was in the original movie who played a character a very minor character named penny and she made an unofficial spinoff called showgirls 2 pennies from heaven <laughs> about about her character um and it's and it,
0: it, it stars her and the guy right
1: it stars her, and I believe the actor who plays, um,
0: his name's is escaping his name? Yeah, he's such um, a minor character.
1: There was a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, it is described as a camp sequel. I think some have said that um, Raina Riffle seemed to really embrace the camp, like, reframe of the movie Mm -hmm. and then her sequel we have not seen it but her sequel which she wrote produced edited and directed uh is intentionally uh camp uh gawker.com said so weird it's weird showgirls 2 doesn't suck so take that as Uh you will we should watch it it's all on
0: youtube i think um the actor's name is uh glenn Plummer, who plays james
1: it has four critical reviews on Rotten Tomato. Three of them are bad.
0: <laughs> it does kind of look like it was shot on a digital, a very it cheap looks like digital Inland camera. Empire. Yeah.
1: I think we watched the trailer and we were like, Showgirls 1 is um, Black Swan and Showgirls 2 is Inland Empire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you remember when I sent you pennies? <laughs> and then I put a note in there that said, from heaven. Because I was really proud of that.
1: I laughed so hard and Joe didn't know what was going <laughs> on. I was like, it's pennies. From... I got pennies from heaven in the mail. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit more about Showgirls and why it got hate. But before we do, we're going to talk a little bit more about Red Canary Song and how you can There are lots of ways to face the deep, disturbing violence women face, especially sex workers. Well, probably don't watch showgirls for that. But what you can do is support the wonderful organization, Red Canary Song, an organization that centers base building with migrant workers through a labor rights framework and mutual aid. They believe that full decriminalization is necessary for labor organizing and anti-trafficking. Red Canary Song follows three primary tenets, no more police raids and deportations, labor rights in our workplaces, regardless of immigration status, and nothing about us without us. Red Canary Song is the only grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition in the US. There are over 9,000 workplaces like these across the country with no political representation or access to labor rights or collective organizing. You can support and donate by visiting www.redcanariesong.net. That's www.redcanariesong.net. And additionally, we'll donate for every listen $2 up to a total of $50 to Red Canary Song and their mission, investing in those who experience the most surveillance and policing who don't have legal protections. Now, back to showgirls!
0: Okay, hello everybody, welcome back to How Did This Get Hate, the special April Fool's edition of How Did This Get Praised. It's me, Stephanie, and I'm here with Daniela Connors, uh, and oh. Stefan Malone.
1: <laughs> 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 I
0: and um, we're going to dance our way through this movie very um, provocatively.
1: I'm going to shimmy and jolt, I'll mainly jolt. <laughs> oh,
0: God. Okay, so let's talk about uh showgirls and um do we think showgirls was universally panned when it came out and now it's kind of having it's not a renaissance but it's like um as you said before in our trivia portion showgirls has been reclaimed kind of by the queer community as camp camp i know you know a lot about camp in general um, that's...
1: That's an exaggeration. I wouldn't say a lot.
0: <laughs> but I've you're, read the... you're interested in camp and know about more than I do about camp theory, I guess. So Well,
1: I've <laughs> I've read I've read once upon a time the what's kind of been considered like the uh touchstone definition of camp by Susan Sontag on her essay Notes on Camp. Mm-hmm. So camp is emphasized on these elements uh, in Susan Sontag's essay. Artifice, frivolity, naive middle-class pretentiousness, and shocking excess. Uh, Camp has also been associated with kitsch, um, Mm. things that are cheesy or, you know, it's often associated with a queer aesthetic yeah because um if you think of like drag queen culture yeah that is often has a lot of overlap with camp which i was is like gonna say
0: take... when i think of camp the first thing i think of is john waters
1: right and john waters especially so you take something that is maybe identifiable maybe straight down the middle america but then you take all of the basically artifice of it all of the uh, performance of it, and you amp that performance up to a thousand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The biggest argument that happens in in art circles is whether camp can be camp if it's intentional, which is why like drag queen culture is not necessarily always associated with camp. Can John Waters be camp? Is John Waters trying to be camp? You yeah. know. So these are kind of the questions. So some might argue. And I always like this, but I don't know where I where I land because camp is pretty much described as like bad taste and irony. Mm. So if camp is inherently bad taste, can you intentionally have bad taste? And a lot of folks argue, no, you can't. So something can only be camp when it happens unintentionally, when it is so bad, but it follows this artifice, this performance to the point of actually subverting yeah, aesthetics where it
0: becomes transformative yeah where it badness. becomes
1: transformative but it is not the intention of the artist as i think very clearly showgirls how it is perceived yeah. is not the intention
0: of paul verhoeven we, and we need to clarify that right now. <laughs> yes that paul verhoeven did not mean for this to be satire or ironic in any way um and you can just tell that based on what he yeah. said when it was initially released versus when he walked it back later. And just the movie itself, doesn't it. Yeah, it, but- um, it, sh- it feels like that it's totally unaware of itself.
1: But camp has also been talked about with intentionality, which is an artist intentionally taking what others And this is what you can say is the renaissance of showgirls, which is that queer communities have actively said, we are representing showgirls. We are either doing performances that are based on showgirls, or we're doing a Rocky Horror style screening of showgirls, Mm -hmm. or, or there's a showgirls the musical where artists are taking something that is in bad taste and basically subverting it and elevating it with the intention of subverting the kind of gate kept nature of high art. And so it's this there's kind of this balance of like showgirls kind of works uh, as camp in two levels, which is it's not what Paul Verhoeven intended. And it it is is in bad taste, but it is enjoyable to some extent. And then it's also the way that it has been adopted into queer culture to intentionally pretty much spit upon mm-hmm. what is considered elite, what is considered good, which is more along the lines, you know, whether John Waters is, is intentionally doing camp is kind of moot. What he is intentionally doing is taking, you know, what is considered high art and sometimes literally taking his shit off.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are some parts of this movie that to me feel very competently done, like some of the moments between some some of the way that it's shot, the cinematography, the set design is really over the top and interesting. Um, do you think that if this movie were just totally awful, like if it didn't have such a professional veneer around it and didn't have all that Hollywood money and um, production associated with it, would we just forget about this as trash?
1: Like if it was made with the intentionality of basically being like a C movie or a B movie. Yeah.
0: Or because Showgirls <laughs> was supposed to be this kind of never before seen big bash erotic drama morality piece that was supposed to be the first NC-17 wide release. Maybe break down that barrier for other movies, which obviously they ignored that after Showgirls <laughs> happened, but
1: I think this is a case where like time and place really matter Mm. because I think you could do it now and it would be regarded as high art. If someone intentionally made showgirls and intentionally made it as a C movie, that it would be regarded as high art. And I think like you can't do that now without something being made in earnestness as showgirls was in the nineties. I think the other bit of this is, an. This actually, I don't want to get too ahead of the basic instinct conversation, but Mm -hmm. one of the controversies that was kind of around basic instinct was the fact that it came out kind of following the height of the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. And the idea of this was a time where uh, America was kind of wanted to move into being sex repressed, right? Because... We can't get AIDS, you know? Yeah. And we also lost a whole generation of, you know, of queer people, of queer artists to AIDS from this time. I think if this was made, you know, to be camp, to be for a queer audience, I think it's part of a much different context in 1995 Mm. than it is now. I don't really know what the impact would be, but... I think part of what you have to consider is uh that lost generation, and uh part of me feels like that's one of the also primary reasons this movie has been reclaimed is to be so brazenly crass and queer mm-hmm. i mean this this movie is and basic instinct does this too. There are gay people. Yeah. They're gay, either or at least bisexual, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh whether it's good representation the, or um, not. The Chris Connors
0: Nomi Malone and Kyle McLaughlin kind of love triangle going on yeah. is a really interesting dynamic, I think. And I think it's the strongest part of the movie.
1: Yeah. And and also the most problematic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, not the most. Yeah, yeah. Close. (laughs) Um, And so, I don't know. I just think you have to think of, like, what the actual 1995 queer context even is. And I think that alters whether you can make something with the intentionality that it is queer, Mm -hmm. that it is spitting upon high art. Well, and whether Paul Verhoeven meant for the aesthetic of camp Probably not, but do I think Paul Verhoeven as a director is very much anti the, especially as a non-American making American, you know, movies for an American audience, Mm. is he kind of creating anarchy against the high art American film scene? Yeah. Yeah. I think he kind of doesn't give a shit, like, and obviously in him pushing the boundaries of the ratings so much so it's interesting all of this is like it treads a very fine line of like this conversation of like can it be made i mean certainly it wouldn't have been given the budget it wouldn't have attracted you know elizabeth berkeley and kyle mclaughlin and mgm if you're saying oh yeah i'm gonna make this really campy queer movie that's not about the Flintstones. <laughs>
0: But you you did bring up um a good point there about this movie being gay gay as hell. Um and even in the nineties too, it was pretty. Well, I was I was gonna say we see movies kinda like this now. Like we talk about how this movie and Black Swan are have some similar things and ideas going on.
1: such strange similarities. It, it really is.
0: <laughs> There's like kind of an obsession, love, hate thing, love triangle thing going on. And do I want to be her? Do I want to be in her? Yeah. But that movie won Oscars. And <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's regarded as one of Darren Aronofsky's best films. Um, and one of Natalie Portman's best performances. Whereas the protagonist of Showgirls was, instead of being put up on a pedestal and got a ward, she was torn down uh, and cast aside. I think that Black Swan's kind of regarded as camp, too, in a way. Right? Well... Um, Just the camp tendencies to be dramatic and over the top.
1: I have a question... In regards to that, but I don't know if I should ask that now or hold off.
0: Okay. Um, but I just find it interesting that um, Natalie Portman was praised so highly, and Elizabeth Berkeley, who gives, who kind of puts the same amount of energy and enthusiasm into the role with just clearly bad directing. Like, I don't think after you watch this movie, you can say that Elizabeth Berkeley is a bad actress no she's really trying She's yeah. not a lot to work with but that it's verhoven's direction which ultimately is like you're the fucking director like you know how the shot's gonna look and
1: you... it's his direction and the writing yeah. like she she's just given awful things
0: to work with and the writing and direction are actually um in conflict a lot of the time like when she's and the scene with Molly where she first meets her and she's eating the fries, and she says something like, "like it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do." Where she's really upset, and then she just like fucking throws the fries everywhere. And like, what Paul Verhoeven? What are you like? What are you? What are you doing to make a movie that you want it to be taken seriously, but it's so over the top and stupid for the situation that it's in like nomi malone as herself i think all of the not all of the characters a lot of the other characters would get away with who they are in other movies because they're not as extreme as nomi is but nomi's character is like all over the place and very it's everything she does is very expressive to like the nth degree wherever. Ev- all of her moments are loud and all of her gestures and her dancing is what how would i describe it like
1: um aggressive yeah
0: aggressive <laughs> everything she does is aggressive and you know she's apparent she's the movie's one of its main conceits is that she's this amazing dancer and everyone is so odd and seduced by her dancing but like as a viewer you can't accept that because you see her dancing and you're like that is not good dancing like
1: what is she well, doing in, this was a case where I think like watching basic instinct was so eye opening um for like interpreting Elizabeth Berkley's the, the dancing specifically because I actually, when we first watched Showgirls, I was like, come on, Lizzie, you can't, like, I picked the dancing out as, like, her choice, Mm -hmm. and, like, how, that's just, she's not a natural dancer, you know, like, that she's just an awkward dancer, that it's not actually something she's good at, and then we watched Basic Instinct, where there's a dance scene in a club, and uh, everyone's dancing the exact same way that Nobi <laughs> does in this movie. And I realized, oh, this is just how Paul thinks people dance when they're sexy. Mm. And so I was like, oh, God. Oh, God, poor Elizabeth Berkeley. It's not even that, like, she's an awkward dancer. She was literally given, like, just awful directing mm. notes.
0: Yeah, and it's just... It it's wild to think about how a person entrusted to make a forty million dollar movie from a studio and then immediately after this to make it a hundred million dollar movie could think that of...
1: is also like, I think, more intentionally camp and satire.
0: Mm. Yeah, he probably wanted heard, to lean into it. it. Yeah. Um but... but it it's just like how how could you think that that would ever be like wanting to put a mirror up to and interviewing Vegas uh, performers and strippers. And this is how you wanted to portray them realistically. It just is like, what, what's the, what's the dissonance going on there? You can't really <laughs> trust anything Verhoeven says about it. Cause now he's playing into that. It was supposed to be ironic the whole time
1: well and we've seen cuz and we've seen in some interviews that he'll like go to some of the like queer screenings of showgirls where they're actively making fun of it mm-hmm. and then he'll do a Q&A where he's like well actually I I, I wanted to make sure that it was uh, you know, I thought this was a dark and daring portrayal. And he'll, like, push back. He's like, well, no, that, that wasn't funny. She is, she is being brutalized by the <laughs> American capitalist system. <laughs> and so, like, he still, like, will double down on it.
0: It's very strange. Um, but spe- speaking of Verhoeven, um, we got to talk about what's going on with Verhoeven and Kyle MacLachlan Gina Gershon and Elizabeth Berkley, their legacies here and how they um, vastly different from, differ from each other after this movie. Um, Paul Verhoeven goes on, as we said before, to direct the hundred million dollar, um, what is it called? Starship
1: Troopers? Starship Troopers. Starship yeah. Troopers. And has an Academy Award now.
0: Oh. Oh yeah. Paul Verhoeven has an Academy Award now. He won for best foreign film for L which is a French film starring Isabella Huppert that is known for its kind of um, really stark portrayals of rape.
1: Rape revenge movie to show you how women are brutalized.
0: But it's still critically acclaimed to this day, I think. I haven't seen it or know that much about it, but yeah. It's interesting that that's Verhoeven's subject of choice again.
1: He loves women getting raped yeah
0: it, it definitely does not leave a good taste <sighs> in my mouth. um but do we feel like i mean obviously elizabeth berkeley deserves so much more and still deserves so much like she deserved a career of some kind
1: yeah at least a second shot yeah she deserved a chance to show like can she actually act
0: Because, like, I can, you can see it there that underneath all of that, I mean, it feels like there's a good actress there, like a really good actress and someone who put a lot into their performances.
1: Even so, how many times, I mean, like, there's no way you can look at this other than misogyny because how many times has a man first try put out a shitty performance and he just gets to keep doing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Even how many times has a woman who does nothing but act like a prop and get to be sexy <laughs> and Gal Gadot get to be a shitty actress, like an <laughs> explosive shitty actress. But because she shows off her thighs and is in a superhero movie, like it's fine. She gets to have a career and make an imagine video or whatever the fuck she <laughs> wants to do. <laughs> And say
0: be say, problematic, be very <laughs> yeah, problematic keep, all the time.
1: Keep talking shit about Palestine, and oh my god, like it is so unfair to. It's it's just sexism. Yeah. Like it's you can't say it's anything else. And it's especially from the nineties. Even my mom, I, uh, I don't want to call out my mom like this, but I think my mom was like, ah. I hated that movie. Elizabeth Berkeley was awful. And it's like when the directing and writing is so obviously bad, how can you even say that movie was awful Mm. and that actress was awful? Like to pin it on her. It's just, I understand. I don't blame my mom. That's just like an instinct that has been ingrained in us to like hold women accountable for men's abhorrent visions.
0: There is something in the movie about Nomi kind of taking control of the setting she's in and trying to take the power away from those producers and Andrew Carver and Kyle McLaughlin's character. Do you think that if this was just a movie where Nomi was powerless and just kind of stood by as a prop that Elizabeth Berkley's would be would have would have had that second shot? Or like, was it too much of a failure that that didn't even matter? Because obviously, that wasn't the case for Paul Verhoeven, who immediately got to go again. Like, like if she was a Gal Gadot type, <laughs> to just bring up what you said before, um, would she have had that second chance to keep going?
1: I think, I think she was set up for failure. Mm-hmm. I just think especially in 1995 when people are incredibly sex negative. And certainly with the violence happening towards sex workers now, I mean, in 1995, like there's no, there's no empathy for sex workers. And there's very little empathy for women. Um, I mean, we've seen this in responses to Me Too era, especially the Harvey Weinstein stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: cuz we're talking about a lot of things that pr- happened primarily in the 90s and the late or the early 2000s and a lot of the way these cases are dismissed is casting couch those actresses yeah. knew what they signed up mm-hmm. for or uh an acceptance that the only way an actress can get ahead in Hollywood is to take her clothes off and also an inherent disrespect. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a Meryl Streep quote somewhere about her kind of saying, well, I never had to take my clothes off or something like that. Mm. And there's still even now the sort of pride of like, well, I never lowered myself to doing something like that. And so I think regardless of the character's agency, her going from doing Save by the Bell to doing something where she is naked for like 40% a lot of the movie.
0: Of the movie, and,
1: yeah. And having and having these sex scenes. Um, and playing a stripper at the beginning and a showgirl later. Um and then being revealed to have formerly been a prostitute, um, regardless of her agency, I think there was no way she could have done that without it being reflected on her, the actress, except if it was in some trauma porn kind of way. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah,
1: It would have had to have been incredibly... I mean, I guess maybe her fighting back has some contribution if she's just crying the whole movie, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe they're like, what a vulnerable performance to and if show. Kyle
0: MacLachlan had like swooped in and saved her from that.
1: Yeah. Or um, was it Glenn Plummer? Was that his name? Yeah, which actually is subverted because he tries to swoop <laughs> swoop in and he never gets
0: to. Yeah. I love how sorry, this is a tangent, but I love how James is like, We're gonna make art together. Like it's gonna be the best performance you've ever done. And then when you finally see the performance with him and Penny, it's like <laughs> just a strip show <laughs> on some chairs. But people really hate it and they don't get it. I'm like, goddamn.
1: But uh what what do you what do you think, Steph? I mean, what how do you think like Nomi's agency plays into the response to this movie.
0: Yeah, I think um Nomi being somewhat of a confident powerful character makes her less at least back back then would make her less sympathetic and would probably make audiences not like her or not feel sorry for her. And I think that's a shame because I I don't hate Elizabeth Berkeley's performance. Like it, there's something to me that's really endearing about it and endearing about the character and really fascinating about all of the characters in this movie. I think they're really interesting and the dynamics yeah. that go on between them are interesting too. And it I I see a lot of similar similarity to that character and the dynamics in more modern movies that get praised and get accolades for being brave Um, and I feel like there's such a fine line it's almost paradoxical between you're a slut or you're brave and you're being vulnerable (laughs) for your art (laughs) like
1: well and it's uh, yeah I think like even now as people have tried to reclaim showgirls it's still hard to ignore that like Nomi, maybe independently, is kind of a feminist character, like actually quite a feminist character. Mm-hmm. but the way the movie frames her is is incredibly misogynistic, and yeah. so like she is still in a misogynist like we're watching her through a sexist male gaze, but she herself is like she's not afraid to fight back. She's not afraid to be like, I'm not having sex with you. She's not afraid to say just because I'm a sex worker or I've been a sex worker. Doesn't mean it should change who I am now, you Mm. know? And it's like, maybe if this movie was made now and like made by a woman, the, the, the way in which we look at her would be different, but this movie is really misogynistic still. And like, doesn't even try to tell us it reinforces that she's kind of right to want to run away from her past yeah not like oh that she wants to make
0: herself better
1: yeah it's like yes she is noble to try to rise above Mm -hmm. it and we should sympathize for her for having survived these lowly this lowly world of being a hooker and then being a stripper and it's like, those, she's making money, man. <laughs> she's trying to make a living.
0: But even, um, even that, that brings up an interesting point that she wants to kind of escape that by going to this Vegas show when Crystal Connors does say at one point that, you know, we're all the same. We all just take off our clothes and they give us the check. So is that the movie, is that the movie now bringing showgirls into it or is that the movie kind of trying to take a stand for sex workers
1: well i think it's not necessarily taking a stand for sex workers but i think it's trying to say uh it doesn't matter how much it's your art form they're gonna reduce you to tits mm. i think it's it, i think there's like some valid which is what commentary. the movie does <laughs> I Which know, know.
0: just uh
1: paul verhoeven's like we must show as much as possible so that you understand the gravity yeah
0: okay paul
1: (laughs) um i i want to can we talk about this in relationship to basic instinct because yeah
0: yeah.
1: i want to talk about the difference in nomi's legacy as a character versus um sharon stone's character in basic instinct Mm -hmm. because they're both women who uh are coded bisexual who use sex to get what they want but in basic instinct sharon stone's character is coded as the villain Mm. and in showgirls know me is the hero and uh people love sharon stone's character and they they did not like and they
0: love her performance even in the critical the reviews, one of the only things that was praised about the movie is Sharon Stone's performance.
1: So I, I, and you've been leading the conversation a little bit, but I want to hear more of your thoughts. Yeah. Um, do you, like, talk a little bit about um, Basic Instinct and like why you wanted to watch Basic Instinct ahead of this and what, how there's a lot of shared themes, how you feel these movies relate to each other, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, well, I wanted to watch Basic Instinct because um, it was mentioned in the documentary we watched about uh, Showgirls and kind of the reclaiming of Showgirls. Uh, it's called You Don't Know Me, but Nomi is, is spelled uh, know me, like Nomi's name, <laughs> by uh, Jeffrey McHale <laughs> that's streaming on YouTube right now. I um, highly recommend that documentary if you're into Showgirls at all and want to learn more about that. Um but Basic Instinct, I was not a fan of. One thing, is it Michael Douglas? Yeah. Michael Douglas is in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he does not have a cute butt like the no, McLaughlin.
0: He's supposed to be this kind of appealing, dark, and mysterious cop, but he's just like, I don't know how you could find him appealing, especially when you're Sharon Stone. <laughs>
1: Awful, and he's just awful from the beginning. Yeah. He's not sympathetic at all.
0: <laughs> so that was a weird choice. Um the the thing that I most wanted to see was that iconic scene um where they're the police are interviewing um Sharon Stone's character and she uncrosses her legs for a second, and you can see something. Um, she's not wearing any underwear. And the reason I wanted to see this scene in relation to Showgirls was because they talked about it in the documentary that Sharon Stone wasn't aware that you'd be able to see part of her genitalia. And Paul Verhoeven told her that they wouldn't be able to see it. The reason you have to do it without underwear is because the light is catching on your underwear weird and we don't want that. And then Sharon Stone didn't know that it was going to be in the film until she was at a public screening with like, agents and uh, studio people and got so mad at Paul Verhoeven and like wanted to, I believe at first she wanted to get it cut out and her agent told her that, yeah, there's no way they'll be able to put that in the movie. Um, But Sharon Stone, interestingly, decides to not have it be cut out. And she states in interviews that, She was like, if I was directing the film and I got that shot, like, how could I not use that shot? Which feels really deeply problematic.
1: Well, and I get what she means. And Mm -hmm. I do. This is not an episode on basic instinct. If that shot was received consensually, which by the way, Paul Verhoeven has said that Sharon Stone is lying about this encounter or must be misremembering it. Okay. And that she knew about it and was totally fine with it. And it wasn't until her agent had concerns about her doing that sort of nudity that she turned around and did a complete 180 on him.
0: Yeah, noted liar, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> <Sis>.
1: <laughs> but, um if he had gotten that consensually, that's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Like there is so much there in just a scene. And unfortunately I think only in that scene (laughs) about how um, her character is using her sexuality Mm -hmm. as a weapon, not as a lure, but basically as a distraction tool that it's basically like, and what the movie could be about is how men hate women so much, not because they want them, but because they can't have them. Mm-hmm. When they see a woman who they can't have, it makes them so angry to the point of like violence, of retaliation. And the idea that she's weaponizing that weaponizing that she knows that instead of asking her the line of questioning, instead, they're just going to think about fucking her the whole scene. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And the way she's in control. I mean, Sharon Stone's performance in that movie is wonderful. Yeah,
0: it's really good.
1: But it wasn't
0: wasn't consensual. consensual. And that just you can't do that.
1: I feel like I shouldn't even be watching it. Yeah,
0: it, it violates something so just fundamental to our moral and ethics, and and that we feel like a director shouldn't be. It feels like it's exploiting the audience and Sharon Stone. It just—it's disgusting.
1: But in in relationship to Showgirls, yes,
0: yeah. in relationship to Showgirls, there are a lot of similar. I find the parallel most interesting between Elizabeth Berkeley's performance and Sharon Stone's performance um, that maybe if Elizabeth Berkeley was given a similar tone or a similar kind of opportunity to do something like what Sharon Stone did in Basic Instinct, that maybe it would have been more widely accepted. You know, I don't know if Showgirls because it doesn't have Michael Douglas in it, being a unmemorable and really unappealing white guy, because you're seeing the film through Nomi, um, and in Basic Instinct, you're seeing the film through whatever his name was. I can't
1: Michael Douglas. Mike 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 Doug. Mike
0: Doug. you know even even audiences that are viewing the film through a misogynistic lens can be like sharon stone hot and still identify with michael douglas who desperately wants to have sex with sharon stone
1: well and i just like wonder how much audiences like you have to imagine audiences who were really into basic instinct came into
0: showgirls Wanting wanting that. more
1: of that. Wanting, wanting NC
0: seventeen of... basic instincts. Yeah.
1: And wanted like more of like sex lady bad. Gay, bad, <laughs> evil,
0: mischievous. Not gay the choreographer.
1: <laughs> the best character in showgirls. It's true. Um uh, Yeah, that like bisexual women, sneaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Roxy,
0: know? evil murderer.
1: And so I wonder if, like, you don't have that, if they're like, say Verhoeven and Joe, what's his name, come in with the purest of intentions Mm. and they truly are like, we are going to hold a mirror up to misogyny and Mm. how women are treated. But if you go into if you go from basic instinct into showgirls, you are expecting the same moral code. You are not expecting the bisexually coded, hypersexual, pussy flaying lady (laughs) to be the hero, to have agency or to have agency that isn't for nefarious gain. The idea that she's just having agency for her own happiness without wanting something else in return. Like, I don't know how you can follow the code set by basic instinct and say something completely different in Showgirls.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's part of Verhoeven's um, muddiness as a director and maybe a person that you see that he can present these ideas in a way that might be good and interesting and and healthy. That they could be, but it's muddled by this problematic, something problematic. It just completely overpowers it. And that's all we're left is kind of that shock and awe and um, exploitation. When it could, there's a potential for both movies to be really interesting. And it feels like wasted potential that should go to someone else.
1: (laughs) Let Chloe Zhao direct <laughs> Showgirls.
0: <laughs> no, they're very similar movies. Like I said before, when I was summarizing the plots. Can you
1: imagine if Emerald Fennell directed Showgirls? That would actually be wonderful. Oh my God, that'd be
0: amazing.
1: Can we petition for, for Emerald Fennell remake? to to do a Showgirls remake still with Elizabeth Berkeley? Yeah, Give please. her the career reboot.
0: Please about um,
1: she's the gina gershon character i'm writing oh, this for you oh shit I that'd would. be so
0: good <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> and she she would do it so well she would play crystal connor yeah. so well okay 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 um, we're right we're anyway
0: it. <laughs> i i want to say that the reason that i there's there's potential here and i feel that and i like i don't want to bash this movie too much even though it deserves to be bashed there are some really good i think really good parts of it that do deserve to be reclaimed and that if they can be reclaimed and that agency can be taken away from Verhoeven as much as possible, then that's ultimately a good thing.
1: Well, and I think that's, I think that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. I think, and that's ultimately to come full circle. Yeah. Um, what camp is and camp is saying, I'm spitting on your high art problematic, middle-class waspy bullshit, and I'm going to like what's gross and wrong and dirty and in bad taste, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to enjoy it because this wasn't your intention, Mm -hmm. you know, art creator with nefarious purposes. I think that's what makes camp wonderful and powerful, and that's why showgirls I can watch showgirls without guilt because I am enjoying it for entirely not the reasons that Paul Hoven want anyone to enjoy it as evidence as he still gets super defensive about (laughs) it to this day
0: even while still trying to walk it, it it's quite the tightrope act
1: he's like oh i'm glad it's found yeah. a second audience now of course let me tell you about what it really means It
0: sounds, sounds like you're doing ringo <laughs> um, hey but I,
1: john we got
0: to do the drums i think that's a that's a good place to end on and segue to what our personal feelings about um showgirls is after we talk about um red, red canary song. song. But yeah, cool. We'll be back to give out some praises and talk about how we feel personally about showgirls after all this. Um, after a few words about Red Canary's song, there are lots of ways to face the deep, disturbing violence women face, especially sex workers. But uh, well, probably don't watch showgirls for that. And maybe don't watch Showgirls too. we don't know. But um, what you can do is support the wonderful organization Red Canary Song, an organization that centers base building with migrant workers through a labor's rights framework and mutual aid. They believe that full decriminalization is necessary for labor organizing and anti-trafficking. Red Canary Song follows three primary tenets. No more police raids and deportations, labor rights in our workplaces, regardless of immigration status, and nothing about us without us. Red Canary Song is the only grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition in the U.S. There are over 9,000 workplaces like these across the country with no political representation or access to labor rights or collective organizing. You can support and donate by visiting www.redcanariesong.net. Again, that is www.redcanariesong.net. Additionally, we'll donate for every listen $2, up to a total of $50 to Red Canary Song, and their mission is investing in those who experience the most surveillance and policing and who don't have legal protections. Now, uh, let's get back to the show with the girls.
1: The show girls! Yes! Yeah.
0: we're back um finishing up our talk about showgirls here for the first ever inaugural inaugural how did this get hate episode so Daniela showgirls uh (laughs) do you want to give out some Hades (laughs) (laughs) sorry we just came up with that in the break and it was uh revelation not to be
1: confused with Hades um lord of the underworld
0: hard tea there hard tea in Hades (laughs) <laughs> um, so Hades, um, if you don't know how it, knows, how it works on the show. Usually we give out praises for hey, how much we think, um, a movie got praised in its time and how much praise we think it deserves, uh, now. Um, so, of course, we're reversing it now with how much hate do we think it got and how much hate do we think it deserves.
1: Deserves.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Um so Daniela, um why did people hate showgirls? Um what do we hate about it? What do we like about it? And is it worthy of hate?
1: Um people hated showgirls because it's bad. It's not a good movie. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend it's a good movie. It's it's not well made. Um besides the cinematography. Cinematography and sets are great. That's where all the budget went, obviously. Um, it's badly written, Mm. it's morals, it's messaging all over the place. Um, The performances and dancing are not what I think of (laughs) when I think of sexy. Um, So, uh, yeah, no, they hated it because it was bad. Um, And uh, I hate it now because it's misogynistic. And it... Did my girl Elizabeth Brinkley? Is it Elizabeth Brinkley? Uh, Berkeley. Yeah, right. Berkeley. Elizabeth
0: Brinkley's a model. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: <laughs> Fuck. They did my girl Elizabeth Berkeley dirty mm-hmm. and uh, wrongfully ruined her career, and no one from this production like tried to save her or gave her another opportunity. Yeah. They just let her sink on the ship, um, and I hate it because. Um, Paul Verhoeven just sounds like a piece of shit. <laughs> Honestly, um, who uh, is trying to speak for women, uh, but does not respect women, and oh, I hate that. Yeah, is there another? Is there a third question?
0: Um, I think you pretty much answered it. Is it worthy of hate?
1: Oh, is it worthy of hate? Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna hate Paul Verhoeven for it, yeah. Okay. Paul Verhoeven's worthy of hate. Yes. I mean, I don't think you're, like, a bad... I don't think you're wrong if you hate this movie. I just... I enjoy it. Yeah. What about you, Steph?
0: Well, I think people hated it because it wasn't what they were expecting. Um, it's all over the place. <laughs> and hard to understand. Um, and feels a bit like Cats in that regard. Um, I... I didn't. I don't like it because it's very exploitative. Um, the rape scene is awful, and Ugh. I think one of the darkest moments of cinema I can remember. Can
1: can I say really quick? There is also a rape scene in Basic Instinct, and it is yeah. At, at least at least in Showgirls, and they just are like. They're like, oh, it's that bad. was a violent crime. <laughs> this is bad. He get bad stuff. They're kind of like they're ambivalent just like, Whatever. about it. it. Happens. Yeah. I'm not even sure if Basic Instinct. I totally
0: forgot about it too.
1: I don't. I'm not even sure if Basic Instinct codes it as rape. No. Like if the movie they just coded as part of it. the
0: relationship.
1: Yeah, if they're like, oh, he's morally ambivalent mm. as opposed to like he's bad. Look at how he's meeting a, Sharon Stone has awakened yeah.
0: him. Primal. yeah and
1: and maybe uh what's her name isn't so good herself Yeah, it's really harmful um so the fact that there's a rape in that movie and then there's a just horrible rape scene that doesn't need to happen in showgirls to motivate the character to be good <laughs> and then there's a whole other movie he's made about a woman who is raped getting revenge that i'm pretty sure just shows you everything also i just i fuck that fuck him fuck you man if you're listening paul verhoeven <laughs> which i bet you do i bet you listen to anything about showgirls because you want to prove to the world that this is your magnum opus and no one understood it fuck you man fuck you
0: yeah um ditto <laughs> Yes, that's why I think it's worthy of hate. As Daniela said, Paul Verhoeven Sorry. seems pretty worthy to... of no, it's fine. <laughs> Seems pretty <laughs> worthy of hate. Is just a bad person who should not be given so much influence and should definitely not have won an Oscar Academy. Well, that Academy's got to fix so much. Wow,
1: Which... they got one thing wrong. Weird. <laughs>
0: But um, I do. Uh, we'll
1: talk more about that in our next episode.
0: This movie's really um, endearing <laughs> to me in the same way Cats is. It's just a hot mess of a movie. And I kind of love it for that. And I love uh, the. I think Gina Gershon and Elizabeth Berkeley are really good together. And I think um, Elizabeth Berkeley got a really bad rap. It should have been out of all it of it. should have been gayer. It, it's pretty gay, but yeah, it could have been gayer. You should have it.
1: just let him. If if I she's do. gonna flail in the tub with yeah. <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan, she Nick should Lachlan. flail in the
0: tub with Crystal Connors too. It's yeah. MC Seventeen. You should have just went for it. Oh. Um, yeah, I love something of a hot mess in this movie. <laughs> it's a hot mess for sure. Daniela, <laughs> let's get to the Hades. We got some butt dicks to give out. <laughs> so, um, out of five butt dicks for the hate you think it got, what would you give it?
1: um uh five yeah <laughs> five butt okay. dicks
0: and then um <laughs> how much hate do you think it actually deserves uh, out of five butt dicks
1: i think three mm-hmm. i think people need to lighten up it's yeah. not like a scourge on cinema <laughs> and maybe if i was alive well i was alive i was one month old um <laughs> I, I was, was alive, alive and sentient.
0: <laughs> <laughs> If I was alive in
1: 1995, like, maybe I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a scourge on cinema. But I don't think, like, Basic Instinct also wasn't good. So, like, calm the fuck down. (laughs) And Basic
0: Instinct's, like, called classic now, so... And it also circles. like
1: people were into it at the time, too. Yeah. So like, no, like you don't get to say basic instinct is,
0: is good, good, and show good girls is bad. but
1: actually showgirls is bad. Now, what that just tells me is you just hate women. So um, <laughs> it gets a three. It gets yeah. a three because Paul and all three of them go to Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> and, and the two I took off, one and a half goes to one and a half goes back to Elizabeth Berkeley because right. I love her. Berkeley. Yes, that's yeah, Berkeley. right. I, almost, mm-hmm. I thought I said Brinkley again. No, you're good. Um and and half goes um to uh Kyle McLaughlin's butt. Okay. <laughs> Kyle, if you're listening, as I know you do to all showgirls serial. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Kyle God loves reminiscing about showgirls. Um also listen to our
1: blue blue velvet episode where I also, also talk about talk about your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're a great actor. Yeah. Great actor.
0: Let me Kyle. Kyle. Um yeah, but out of out of five, I think you got a five too for obvious reasons by now, if you've been listening to the show. Uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna give it a two and a half. oh, yeah, out of five. Um and I'm gonna give um half of a butt Dick to Gina Gershon, who I think also got a bad deal out of this movie and who i think is really is pretty really good in it
1: people have said she's the only person who knows what movie she's in mm-hmm. and i think that is true yeah. Yeah, i don't think she uh, for a second bought into this being high art and she was like oh so i get to be a campy yeah. drag queen
0: when okay. they're when, when elizabeth <laughs> bergley and gina gershon are like voguing at each other violently during <laughs> one of the musical numbers." And when they talk about eating puppy chow and Crystal (laughs) is talking about it kind of fondly and Nomi agrees with her, that's just, that's good shit right there. What can I say? I think that's a good note to go out on. Uh... (laughs) Join us next time when we talk about Nomadland. It won't be a super long delay because it's already recorded. (laughs) Ha ha!
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, um... We already know what we say in that one. Yes. We're taking a little break for us because uh, we can. Um, and it's not April Fool's, so we're actually talking about Nomadland. Yeah. Um, and maybe there will be a special guest. <gasps> Spoiler alert, it's my twin brother. Woo! Oh, I was going to like be like, maybe it's Francis. Oh, Middorman. never mind. Maybe it's Francis.
0: It's some... <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, See y'all um, next time. Can't wait. Raise
1: responsibly.
0: Or hate responsibly. That's it. Uh, hate, responsibly. hate
1: responsibly. lest another woman have her career unfairly ruined.
0: Oh, shit. You're right. Pigeon. You know how I know that you're gay? Here's Johnny. Shut it off for my earfriend! I wanna make him run off with them. You motherfucker. You be gay, motherfucker. I wanna make him run off with them.
1: I am your father I am her dad mother